everybody. Welcome to Slip Angle. Uh, I am at my desk at my house, and I'm talking with Andrew Rains from Apex Pro. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's like 70 and uh, like sunny here in Indianapolis. What's the weather like in New Orleans? Uh, it's overcast and from about 65. It's actually pretty nice. Uh, it's just overcast, so it's not real pretty, but I'm not complaining. So I'm giving you a ring so that we can talk about GLTC. Uh, you are at NOLA Motorsports Park, and this is your first GLCC weekend and your first grid life experience. What's it been like so far? Uh, it's been pretty awesome. It's uh, really awesome, actually. I, I got to run uh, yesterday evening in practice with a bunch of the guys in GLTC and uh, just super close quarters, a lot of fun, kind of figuring out how everybody likes to run with each other and it's a new track for everybody, so we're all kind of figuring it out. And there's a lot of bumps, like tons and tons of bumps. So you kind of have to know where those are. Um, so it's, it's been a blast so far. We're qualifying here in about an hour and a half. So I'm just trying to get in that headspace and figure out where I can go uh, go find some time. So uh, how, do, how do you think your car sits in terms of setup and pace? Uh, I don't think we have the to qualify up front. Uh, a little bit of that's me. I'm probably... A second off of where I think I could be, um, and I think that might—I think that I might be able to get there today. But I, I, I don't think—I think if we had our sixes on the car, the Hoosiers, I think we'd probably be pretty close to the front. What are you uh, running but today? But we're on hundred tread wears. Okay. It's the Goodyear R3. Uh, the supercar. Brad, shout out. Uh, yeah, the supercar. It's a really good tire. How do you think it'll hold up uh, over a? But it's not a session. Uh, I think it'll. I think it'll do really well i don't think there'll be any fall off at all i think it'll actually be better at the end because uh, the car's really light um yeah I, I think it'll be really good and uh what's your what's your competition weight 2900 pounds it's kind of heavy compared to some of the uh, more conventional cars that we're used to seeing but not all that heavy like if you factor in guys like uh, james houghton who has elected to run heavy yeah yeah, it, it definitely, we're probably one of the heavier cars this weekend. We're also the only European car in GLTC this weekend. That's wild. <laughs> um, so um, a couple of distinctions, yeah. I know that the uh, the boys from the winning formula are not here this weekend, um, but what does the rest of the field look like for you? Uh, it's. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of fast guys. Uh, Luke McGrew is right over here next to me. Um, I talked to him a bunch yesterday. He's an awesome guy. We got to know each other a little bit. I think he's going to be quite a bit quicker, um, but I think I might be able to hang with him in traffic. Uh, we'll just kind of have to see. And then spoke with Eric Coutil and Tom. I think Tom McGorman just blew a motor in practice he did. this morning. Yeah, he's, he's done. Ah, man, that sucks. We were over there drinking beer with him last night and took him some lights to help him work on the car. And um, that really sucks. I'm bummed. I wanted to race with Tom. Yeah, for sure. It's uh Owning and running your own race car, I think, is always hard. And um, that S2 has been a race car for quite some time. So, I mean, it was bound to happen. It's just bad luck, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. We, we were reminiscing about World Challenge days and some common experiences and um, really haven't been able to, like, just hang out at the track in a while. And uh, I was just dis distracting him accidentally from working on his car last night. But um, we did take some lights guys, over to him. So You guys could... didn't overlap in world challenge did you we did i was uh i was in a touring car and he was in a tcb car so okay. we we overlapped and i had about a 40 mile an hour speed difference on him everywhere <laughs> <laughs> so but he was winning and i wasn't so i, I was always jealous of that <laughs> yeah that happens sometimes so yeah. uh gltc qualifying is coming up at twelve twenty. um i imagine that I will be doing the uh, the live feed stream with Kyle and uh, now Tom. Uh, we're gonna do it over the uh, Kyle's Kyle's Discord server. So I will watch the live feed with him and do commentary, which should be pretty fun. Oh man, that's gonna be a blast! I'll, I'll try not to do anything too exciting for you. Uh, maybe a little bit of excitement, but nothing like overly exciting. So uh, I, I haven't seen any times yet because I don't know that timing and scoring has been running for the practice sessions. What do you expect the qualifying time uh, pull lap to be? Uh, well, I, you know, I, we haven't seen a lot of times yet either. Um, so that's a good question. You know, I've been looking at my, my Apex Pro data this morning. The track was wet. 
uh, like a lot of lot of standing water at the apex of a bunch of corners and some pretty pretty good amount of dampness. So we're definitely seconds off of where we're going to be uh, for qualifying when the track's drier. So I, I really don't know. I think Eric um, Coutil was a, was two or three seconds quicker than us, and I think he'll probably be in like I wouldn't be surprised if he does a one fifty two. Okay. Um, which so a I little bit of a longer course for sure. Yeah, it's it's a big track and it's got some fast stuff. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. I, uh, you know, I think we definitely looking at our competition weight and and everything. The car, the E thirty six, is known to not fit a lot of tire under it, but with our weight and the tire that we're on, we could run a two seventy five, and we're on a two forty five, and I think I think that would make an enormous amount of difference this weekend. But I think the the name of the game for us is going to be qualifying good enough, so we're not, you know, in the back of the pack. Um, which I think we can do. And then if we can, if we can hold out, you know, the race is so short and it's going to be so intense. I think we could, you know, run at the front if we, if, if things work our way in the race. So we'll, we'll see. So I'm looking at a track map here and this is probably something I should know considering I'm kind of working the event. Uh, what is the, the track configuration here? Cause there are many options. Um, yeah. uh, it's, I don't know what they call it, to be honest, but it doesn't run the straightaway on the back. It, you, you do the S's all okay. the way through the back section. Okay. Um, that helps. And uh, what about coming through what I guess is called T14? Is that like just a continuous right-hander, or are you going – is there is there only one option there? The I need to look at a track map, but I think I think there kind of is. That's the, uh, the right-hander, like, coming onto the front straightaway. And so, shoot, I'm looking at this. It looks like it could go both directions. Are you running clockwise or counterclockwise? We are running clockwise. That's so strange. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty cool track. Like, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's not a Road Atlanta or a Mid-Ohio caliber track, but it is, a, it is a really solid, you know, what I would consider like a secondary. Um, like, it's, it's a great club-level track, and the facility is really nice. And um, obviously the surrounding area is great. We... Um, and we lucked out. I'm down here with Baker, uh, who runs operations for Apex Pro, and then my buddy Mitch Cobb, who he's a restoration specialist at the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. He's a he's a badass. He's driven cars up the hill at Goodwood, and uh, he's raced late models and done all sorts of stuff. He's the he's our wrench this weekend, um, and we're staying in a sweet Airbnb in the warehouse district uh, that belongs to a friend of uh, Baker's, and they hooked us up for free. Like we're paying for the cleaning fee. That's awesome, uh, man. It's it's twenty minutes from the track, right off the interstate, walkable to restaurants and bars. And it's so cool. That's fantastic. We got lucky. So, um, what? Uh, I know that the track is kind of famous for a pretty long straight. Uh, what's what's that like in a GLTC car? Yeah, it's pretty long. Um, it's got a lot of undulations in it, so you kind of weave around a little bit um, to stay out of the bad part of the bumps. But it's uh, the gearing is tall on our, on our BMW, um, on our E36, so I'm only in fifth gear for maybe five seconds, you know, probably 10 miles an hour worth of fifth gear on the front straightaway for me. But I think Eric, I was talking to Eric Coutil, I think he's topping out in fifth, almost in sixth. Uh, it's about 125 miles an hour. It's, it's not super, super high speed, but it's probably as long as anything at Road America almost. Wow. Yeah, um, it's big. That's pretty wild. So, uh, in terms of setup changes and practice and things like that before qualifying, what do you need to do to make sure your car is all set? Uh, well, for us, the, the biggest variable, and I'm sure this is most folks this weekend, is just the driver. So, for me, it's been about making a car predictable. Uh, we're dropping tire pressures a little bit to get a little more grip because we were running them, we're running them a little higher than I think where they really need to be. So, we're dropping half a pound starting pressure. Um, but honestly, I haven't made any other setup changes. The car's been really, really dialed. Um, we normally run it on 200 treadwear, the Hankook RS4s, okay. which is a pretty low-grip tire. And uh, it's got a huge front sway bar on it, and the car was set up for slick. So it actually, balance-wise, the higher-grip uh, tire feels way better with the chassis. Like, it, it just works way better. So I've been really happy with it all weekend, and the cars run flawlessly. So uh, knock on wood, that ought to... That ought to put us in a good spot. So we're not doing much. 
Yeah. Well, uh, first, you Mitch should, is grinding something right yeah, now. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you should thank the person in the back end using the angle grinder because uh, yeah. if it if it wasn't that, it wouldn't be a slip angle. He's, he's grinding the uh, the bottom of the splitter. I think I've been dragging the splitter in turn seven, but he's, like, taping up all the everything on the front end, like the whole the radiators, like, taped up and everything. They try to get more front downforce for qualifying. So we're doing all the little stuff just just because we're racers and we have to, but... Well, uh, we'll talk about Aprex Pro for just a minute then. Um, you went out and you run a couple sessions now. Uh, what do you think is the kind of the theoretical best for Apex score? I did an 80, 80 this morning Okay. on a, on a slippery track, 80%. Um, I don't think it'll be that good when the track's got more grip. Um, I gonna, think oh, like a 78 is a good one. I'm going to open the app right now and see what the uh, – See what the, the the record is, and then uh, I'm going to challenge you to beat it. <laughs> that sounds good. I submitted my data yesterday. I actually I need to submit mine right now. Um, I got like the sixth fastest time here. There's, if anybody's listening and you're coming to NOLA sometime soon, there's not a lot of people that have submitted their data for preview uh, at, at uh, NOLA. So log uh, some data and submit it. Best Apex score recorded so far is an 85. That's pretty good. So uh, Apex Par is eighty one. So you, you gotta do a oh, little wow. bit better. Yeah. I'm not I'm not there yet. Um, man, I'm I'm giving up a little I'm a little in like You cut out just a second there, Andrew. Uh, where good. did you say you're giving up time? Nope. Where did you say you're giving up time? Turn six and seven area back side of the track. Okay. Can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Okay, yeah. the, the turn seven complex. It's like a big open right hander. Yep. Is it just uh, is it just too high speed? You need to get comfortable there. Approaches to it. Lots of different like. You can go wide. You can stay tighter. There's kind of a groove that feels better if you don't go as wide. And I just don't have a solid visual, so it's more ambiguity than – it's not a commitment corner for me. It's more of a I don't know what to look at yet. Um, and I, I think I'm getting getting better consistently, but that's where I have the most time. That's where I'm going to be focused on for qualifying because everywhere else I feel like I'm getting, I'm getting the most out of the car. Gotcha. And the data looks pretty good. All yeah. right, cool. Well, we're into this for about 13 minutes, and uh, you have some prep for a qualifying to do. I'm going to try and check in with you throughout the weekend and put this all together as one show to document and communicate what, what it's like to show up to a GLTC event kind of as a first-timer. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, we've got qualifying in two races today, and I just had the new drivers meeting. Uh, with Adam and a bunch of the other uh, guys here. There's like four or five first-time, I think it's five first-time GLTC drivers this weekend. So uh, I thought that, like, group communication was really cool because not many not many groups do that where they get you together and they say, hey, guys, here's our expectation for you. Here's what we were looking for with the culture. Here's how you, have, you need to treat each other. And I think he was just, the whole time I'm looking at Adam, like, thumbs up, like, this is awesome, man. This is, that's how you establish a culture. I don't know, right man. Thing. Like, I, we, Adam and I talk about it all the time. We don't feel like the formula is that hard, but racing is so expensive that it has to be fun. If it's not fun, then uh, there's no good reason to come to the track, you know? Yeah, and, and that starts at the top and it works its way down, right? And so if we work hard to make sure that people have fun interacting with us and they enjoy being at the track with each other, then they'll keep coming back. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Everybody's so willing to help each other. There's no, there's no like tenuous, like, Ooh, I'm not going to tell you everything about my car. You know, I was sitting over there at Luke, Luke McGurry yesterday and he literally told me everything. You know, he's like divulging everything he's done on the entire car just because he's enthusiastic about it and he wants to share. And like, that's how it should be. It's like, everything's kind of out in the open and, you know, we all know where each other, like, you know, they know I'm on a hundred treadwear tires, so it's going to be a slightly different race for me than it is the guys on slicks and, and vice versa. Right. Like we all kind of, it works like it can work on different budget levels and I'll have plenty of people to race with, with where I am in the pack. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be probably 
just an absolute blast. Well, in in Luke's case, he's becoming a leader in knowing the nuances of the NC, right? Like not many people are racing that car extensively yet, and he's pulled the engine in and out and the trans in and out like a dozen times. So he's getting pretty good at setting that car up. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's pretty technical, and he and I, he and I had a long conversation about Apex Pro yesterday and about data in general and so just like when I talk you know, philosophy. Uh, when when you and I talk about other data systems, it's consistently Luke McGrew is the person that I'm thinking of when when I say they get out of the car, they plug in their laptop, and they dig into the data after every single session. He's he's the only person I know that does that. Yeah, it's that's it's not easy to do. You know, I'll, I'll I'll just give you like the what I was doing this morning. So we we scaled the car like to get a weight before the session, and we were a little heavy, so we took our ballast out um, after we got back. But we scaled it again after the session to see how much fuel we burned and you know how much weight we lost. And while I'm sitting there, you know, waiting in line to get on the scales and stuff, I'm looking at my phone, looking at my data. So by the time I got back to the paddock, I already had overlaid my morning session with yesterday's afternoon session and saw where I approved and where. You know, I found some stuff in the speed trace, and I'm like, that shouldn't look like that. I need to go look. You know, lo and behold, there's some red lights in the middle of the corner. And, uh, you know, it, I know where to go find time. And it took me that, you know, 10 minutes while I was sitting there. So yeah. I've, I already had that done, and now I'm just kind of chilling, getting in my headspace. That seems, that seems pretty straightforward. But uh, I will connect with you maybe after the qualifying session to see how things went. It's likely I'll be doing commentary, so... I should have a pretty good idea for, for things, but I'll be interested to get your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll, uh, I'm not holding anything back, so I'll make this BMW go as fast as I can make it go. Yeah, do your best, man. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, buddy. Bye. Hey, Andrew. Welcome to Day 2 of Grid Life. <laughs> hey, Abe. Uh, it's been awesome so far. I'm, I'm pumped for Day 2. So since the time that we talked, you have done GLTC qualifying in two races. Tell me what happened during qualifying. Uh, qualifying was uh, was actually really fun. It's been it's been a while since I like went out and did a um, did a qualifying session, like because I've been doing a lot of endurance racing and coaching. So it was really really exciting for me to just go out and like put the car at the limit and leave it there. Uh, I was I was pretty happy. We ended up fifth. We qualified sixth on time, but one of the cars ahead of us was a little heavy. Um, so they got penalized. Uh, so we started fifth, but I did uh, three one fifty five seven fives to the hundredth. Three of those laps, like that's probably my, just about as fast as you're going to go. Then <laughs> it's like that's, I think that's all she's got. Um, so so it was fun. Uh, looking at the data, what was the apex score on your qualifying laps? Uh, ooh, I'll, I'll have to pull it up right now. It's not as good as I would like for it to be. I think there's still a little bit of opportunity out there, but. Um, but overall it's, it's not bad. Yeah. I'm at like 80, 78 and 80 between there on all of them, man. Uh, uh, we, we talked on the last segment that the, uh, the, the, the top three are, I think 85s and 84s for the, uh, for that track. So you're going to have to get on it, man. Yeah, I know. I'm think, I think I'm, you know, of course, classic racers excuse, but the apex percentage, the more you can keep the light screen down the down a straightaway meaning the more you can spin the tires the more it's going to benefit you and uh you know gltc cars don't have enough power so some of the guys in like c6s and c7 corvettes they're always going to be higher 11s probably can yeah Yeah. go a little higher um okay so so. you qualified p5 and tell me about the start of race one i was the start of race one was pretty dicey i'm trying to remember exactly what happened uh luke mcgrew was right ahead of me and he went out on rain tires yeah i i don't know uh, why it, that it didn't rain i don't know why he did that but that was like he would have been a genius if it went his way but man like it, <laughs> it hurt bad when it didn't <laughs> yeah i talked to him about it and he said uh, he's like i think i had time to switch back to slicks but we were already ready to go he'd already like he he had uh dropped both the sway bars you know disconnected the bars and softened up the shocks like he was full race you know full rain race mode uh and it was it was drizzling like when we went to to grid i was i had my windshield wipers on so it was questionable um but you know obviously he was way off the pace so i, I actually tucked in behind him uh neither of us got a great 
launch on the flag, but I kind of stayed bumper to bumper with him because I knew he'd be breaking pretty late. And we were on the inside lane and uh, a couple of folks went too late um, in the bumps and ended up kind of running off track left a little bit. And so I tucked in behind Luke and I think I was in, you know, he was in third and I was in fourth. And then uh, he braked really late going into the first hairpin, uh, turn three. And uh, he couldn't get down to the apex, and I had way more grip, grip than he did, so I just snuck inside of him and, and obviously had more grip, uh, even on my 100 treadwares. So I, and I drove away, and that was that was uh, for third. So then I, I held on to third for the rest of the race. So that was uh, actually a pretty awesome finish. And race two, it seemed like you struggled a little bit more. What happened? Yeah, well, it was more of uh, others didn't struggle as much than I think me. Like, my pace actually was better in race two than race one, and I got a little bit better start. But um, because I ended up uh, benefiting from Luke not being as fast as he should have been, uh, and I got it, and I, you know, made some good moves on the start in race one, um, the guys in fourth, fifth, and sixth behind me were all like a second or two a lap faster. So they were catching me in race one. But a couple of the guys got into each other, like had kind of a kerfuffle. I don't know the details, but um, two of the cars behind us, uh, you know, were battling pretty hard. So that slowed them down. Um, so I, I think if they had had, if they had kept up their race pace, I would have, uh, um, I would have finished like fourth or fifth because I just didn't have the pace. So in race two, it was really honestly more like where I expect we'll be finishing today in race three and four, because once everybody kind of got it figured out and got used to racing with each other, um, I just don't have anything for the guys on slicks. Uh, even, you know, it's, it, it's fun cause we, I can kind of hang with them, um, and defend and, and, um, you know, we're, we're 90%, but, uh, you know, uh, Dyson, uh, Fem, I raced with him for five laps and defended hardcore against him in the race yesterday. And <laughs> I, I went in the middle of the track and turned one on a defensive line and he just drove around me on the outside. Going into <laughs> so it was like nothing I could do. <laughs> uh, great. Um, so, um, you know, in this event, it kind of seems like the, the, the field is really sorting itself out, you know, like, uh, race finishes are probably going to be what they are unless something really unexpected happens. Um, talk about your strategy for the second day here. What are your goals? What are you trying to do for the rest of the weekend? Um, you know, really just have fun. I mean, uh, the second race was more fun than the first race because the first race I made a couple of good moves on the start and, um, you know, Luke didn't have any grip benefited from that. And then, you know, kind of just let the race play out. And we ended up on the podium. Uh, and I, I didn't really see anybody for the rest of the race, you know, Eric and Todd in front of me kind of checked out. They were both several seconds a lot faster. Um, and you know, we just held our position. Uh, so race two, I was actually Dyson with, um, I was, I was battling with Dyson and, um, and, uh, Ronnie in the S 2000s. And we ended up going three wide into turn four and, um, you know, had, had a really fun battle, even though I was, you know, I was struggling compared to them with grip. Uh, it was still way more fun. So really I would just like to, to run wheel to wheel with more people. Um, I think would be enjoyable. And, uh, you know, if we get some mixed conditions running this morning right now, it's, it's eight o'clock and the race is at nine twenty, and the skies are overcast and it rains a lot of last night. There's mud everywhere and standing water. So it might still be damp for the first race. Yeah, that's so, probably um, true that'll be fine um uh during the first call we had uh we talked a little bit about the supercar 3r as far as i know you might be the first gltc runner to use those tires um tell me tell me about you know where they're doing really well and where you might wish that you had a different choice yeah i feel like they're about 90 percent of an r7 everywhere um it's a really really good tire for the money like really good uh and they seem to be wearing really well um you know honestly i think if our car uh we, we could run a much bigger tire if we you know tub the fenders and put uh you know big fender arches on it we could run 275s on a bigger wheel and i think that would that would almost honestly make it comparable to some of the guys on smaller hoosers um so I, I really like the tire, you know, honestly, right. So it, it feels every bit like it's a slick. Uh, we, we said early that 
you're actually undertired relative to what you're allowed given your weight. So if you could add more tire, given given the chassis, if you could add more tire, you think that uh, that would close the gap up considerably? Uh, yeah, I think I think C75s on these tires would close the gap up a lot because the the real like the places where I'm just not able to to do the same as the other guys is like minimum speed everywhere is a little slower. You know, I'm one or two miles an hour slow. I'm, I have to brake slightly earlier everywhere. Uh, I'm to throttle slightly later everywhere. I mean, it's incremental everywhere to the slicks. And I think another 30 millimeter of contact patch would make a huge difference. Uh, you know, we could even, if we went to slicks, I think we could still run a 255 on R7. So that would, that would also make an enormous difference. I don't know which one would be better, but I think really the, um, the biggest difference and the reason why guys like Eric and, and the other really fast cars are the best is not, is not particularly tire choice or anything in particular, but it's more of just the developmental process of the car and really understanding the dynamics of it and how to make the chassis really work the way they want it to. And, um, I think, uh, we, there's a lot of opportunity for us to like develop the car. Um, but because it's a WRL car, primarily it just, that probably is not going to happen. It's probably going to be more of a, um, you know, part-time GLTC car, but sure. uh, we'll see. Maybe I can, maybe I can influence the other guys and we can do more GLTC stuff. That's not a bad idea. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun, man. So you have had experience in pro racing. You've done, um, was it called PWC at the time or mm-hmm. world challenge? Uh, this is a, an amateur, a grassroots event. How do you think the events, um, in your experience compare? You know, honestly, if this had existed uh, uh, when World Challenge, when I was doing World Challenge, I think I would have rather have done this um, because the the budget compared to World Challenge, I mean, it's a different world, right? It's like this is this is truly club racing, but the exposure and the um, the community and everything around it is is so much more um, welcoming and friendly than any of the pro stuff. I mean, once you get to know people in the pro paddock, everybody's generally like, it's all good people and they're all willing to help and they want to beat you at, at your best. Like I experienced that, you know, from most people, um, like if you go asking people for parts, they're always going to help you uh, in the pro paddock. But here's just a totally like, like Adam said in the, in the new to GLTC meeting, it's like the, the result that we're going for is for you to enjoy the race. Like we're not focused on the result of the race. Like the whole goal is, is to race. You know, yeah, that's the focus uh, to enjoy it. And in pro racing, people get too fixated on on winning. Well, um, I think I said on the live stream that uh, for someone like um, Cattell this weekend, who is doing really well, uh, it might actually be a little bit less satisfying than having some uh, some people to race with. Right. Because running away with a weekend doesn't actually seem that fun. He's going to he's going to have to focus on a new challenge, which is probably going to like continue to be the 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 time attack type of uh, event for him which is just well can he get a 150 i don't know maybe uh, that may <laughs> be what he's pushing for if he's not out there racing anybody yeah yeah i i think there's i think there's a lot of truth to that i think you know if you're if you're um on on the edge about coming out and, and trying gltc and your car doesn't quite you know, fit the rules perfectly, or you don't want to make a bunch of changes or invest a lot of money. Like there's, there's people to run with all the way throughout the field, you know, like our, my best lap from race one, there were like five guys within a second of, of my best lap. So there were plenty of guys. Like if I had dropped back behind the two guys I was racing with, I would have had a whole nother crowd of guys that I would have been the same pace as to race. Yeah. Um, so I'm really, really bummed that Tom's car broke because I think he and I probably would have been really close on pace. And we were talking about that. Um, I think he's, uh, I think he's got a slightly uh, more optimized car, and I think he's a slightly better wheel than I am as well. <laughs> slightly better, he may be a way better driver than I am. <laughs> um, but I think him being on the the 200 treadwear and me on a small 100 treadwear, I think we would have been, I think we would have been trading blows, and it would have been a blast. So I'm super bummed about that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, in uh, in that case, like. I do think even in the broadcast, we were starting to focus on not the front runners anymore because that's not where the good battles were. But we were we were trying to focus and do commentary for the stuff that was happening in the mid and in the back of the pack because that's where good racing was happening. 
Yeah, absolutely. I hope I hope they saw on the broadcast us going three wide in the turn four. It was me, Dyson, and Ronnie. Like all three of us came out of the first hairpin, which were just door to door, going into the the second one. And you know, all kind of just like looking in our peripherals, like, all right, who's gonna who's gonna flinch? <laughs> and uh, and it all worked out like really really nicely. Like I think Dyson had tried to. He had passed me on the inside of three, and I gave him the inside, and I knew I could get him back and four, so I just held my position kind of on the outside there, and I, I kind of did the over-under and got him back, and then Ronnie was tucking it inside of me into four, and then I kind of stayed mid-track, and I got the power a little sooner than he did, so they both fell in line behind me, um, and they were both faster. You know, Dyson ended up getting me in turn one on the last lap, uh, which was a huge bummer. Uh, you know, looking back on it, I, I should have approached uh that a little bit differently than i did but it was he deserved to beat me he was faster um <laughs> so but, we, know, we talked was, about on the broadcast I really how bumpy it. the front straight is um how much does the terrain itself affect the line that you take versus the line you want to take that's a good question uh i mean the track is really bumpy it's really, really bumpy. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily make it less fun because it's bumpy. I think it's actually part of the challenge, kind of like Sebring, but it's a very different track than Sebring. It's like an undulation. It's not a. It's not like those concrete blocks at Sebring where they're predictable and they have the same interval and you kind of go over them at the same, you know, uh, every second or so you're going, dropping off one of those. Here, they're kind of unpredictable and you, you just have to kind of feel out where they are and um there's a couple places where you do have to position the car for them like um the turn five six complex there's bumps near the apex of both of those so you kind of have to have the car positioned like a little bit almost a foot or two inside of where you actually want to apex so the bump can kind of push you out away from it uh and then there's also a big one in the last last part of the S's when you're about to come back towards the tower, towards like the building where the you know where everything is there at the end of the track. Um, there's a huge bump that's at 110 miles an hour. It's really fast, and you have to be ready for that one because it'll catch you off guard. And that one's more of just hold on to the wheel and stay on the throttle to keep the car settled um, than anything. But it, it definitely affects it. Um, like I was watching Eric's onboard, and he's doing a good job of. Um, anticipating the bumps uh and i'll tell you in turn one you can't break super late at all like my experience there i've blown turn one twice in, in practice just going in too deep on the brakes um so you got it you're, you're pretty much breaking around the floorboard almost everybody is even the guys with more grip than me are, are about that four brake marker why is that just because it, it's like a super super bumpy braking zone so, so the cars kind of have like any braking efficiency bit. like the tires coming up off the ground you know, it's, it's, it's shocks traveling a ton. I, I bet um, that that makes it especially difficult in cars without ABS, right? Cause you've got constantly changing grip. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see what Eric's brake pressure or, you know, longitudinal G looks like through there because he doesn't have ABS. Uh, so I bet he's having to modulate the pedal a lot. You know, I'm, I've got a pretty good ABS system in the BMW. They're known to have um, pretty decent ABS. So I can just lay into it and let the ABS kind of work it out. But the, the kind of um, the curse of ABS as well is that it kind of tempts you to go in deeper and deeper. And, and once you go too deep, it's, you know, there's not much you can do, right? It's the, it's the same problem. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, physics only allows so much. Well, you've got uh, about an hour and 45 minutes before the next race. I'm going to tell you good luck, and then I will probably try and catch up with you maybe uh, Monday. We'll see um, yeah. uh, after you guys get home and we can talk a little bit about how the race went today and uh, final thoughts on your grid life weekend. That sounds great. It's been, uh, it's been a ton of fun so far and we've uh, spent some time at the track like late last night, hanging out with folks and talking about apex pro and answering a lot of questions. And I actually got to go into the, the novice classroom with Ed and teach some, uh, some stuff about weight transfer and talk a little bit about data acquisition and how to use it to your advantage and that sort of thing. So it's, it's been super fun um, engaging with some Apex Pro customers I've never met in person. So we've, awesome. we've had a blast. Cool, man. Well, uh, good luck, and I'll talk to you soon. All righty. See you, Abe. Now. Hey, Andrew. Long time. Hey, Abe. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think you've uh, moved into a new house since yeah. we last talked. Uh, we're doing a video call here, so uh, in my background, there are a number of boxes and piles of crap all over my basement floor. But I have like a dedicated office now, um, which I did have before, but it's, it's a, I think, a nicer space and it's better lit. 
So making video calls is a lot easier because uh, in, in my previous address, the office was on the north side of the house, which never got any sun. And so the only light I had in the room was like a couple of lamps, which were not sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. Natural light. It's, it's hard to beat. Not the beer, but the actual, <laughs> actual light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think the last time I talked to you, and if, if this is wrong, then you'll either hear it twice or I'll make an edit. Um, I think the last time we talked, you were in the middle of your GLTC weekend, and I think we were coming up to qualifying. So um, your first grid life experience was to start, you know, getting used to practice, being at NOLA, which I think was your first time, and then uh, kind of getting, uh, getting used to how a G- GLTC weekend is run. What was what was qualifying like? Did did you find that there were a lot of cars on track? Uh, were you did you have good pace? Yeah, we um, there was really good spacing because I think there were I think there were twenty two or twenty three cars maybe um, for GLTC, so it wasn't like a super super busy field and the tracks long, so there was plenty of space to go out and set some fast laps. Um, so I went out and um, kind of knew, you know, especially being on a street tire, but really on any tire, you know, your, your sweet spot's going to be lap two and three usually, um, you know, because un- unless, you know, I'm not a seasoned time attack driver. If I was maybe lap one, uh, you know, after you go out and do your, do your out lap. Um, but for me, it usually that first lap is just kind of still sensing some of the stuff on the track. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was, I think it was actually still pretty damp. Um, I have video from it, uh, that I'm, that I'm getting, uh, getting posted here soon, but it was, it was pretty damp. So a lot of the apexes you kind of had to, um, had to stay off of and some other places. So that first lap was a little bit of a throwaway, but after that, um, I set in two laps within a hundredth of a second and then caught some traffic, cooled down, came in the pits, went back out, did one more flyer and did another lap within a hundredth of a second of the first two. So I felt pretty good about getting the most out of the car. Um, and you were on the supercar three R's. So, uh, as we kind of progress through the, the latter part of this show, we'll talk a little bit about how they were, um, for race pace, but what, what were they like on qualifying? They were really good. I mean, the qualifying was our fastest laps of the weekend. I think it was, it was only the second session we had run the tires. Um, so they were still pretty fresh and, um, you know, they, they came up to temp about like a slick. It took about a lap to get them, to get them warm. Uh, and then they came in and they were really sticky in qualifying um, for, especially for a hundred treadwear. I mean, nowhere on the same level as like a Hoosier R7, but man, I was, I was really impressed. The whole car, the balance, everything felt really good in qualifying. Um, going back through my Apex Pro data, there's a couple places now where I'm like, I, I probably could have, um, could have found a little bit of time. I think through the back part of the track, um, I gave up a couple of tenths uh, on each of my fastest laps. Um, but I, I don't think even if I were to put, you know, my theoreticals like four tenths faster than what I did, usually you can get half of your theoretical or so. So I, I really feel pretty good about where we qualified. Um, and the tires were good. They were really good. You know, we, we were only running a 245 and per the rules, we could be on a 275. So we weren't even optimized for the, the 100 treadwear tire class. So I was really satisfied that we were as competitive as we were with, you know, a really unoptimized tire. So what about, um, what about race one? I think it's been, I mean, it's not been too long since you've been in like taking the start of a race, but, uh, I, am not sure how much racing you did this year. Um, what was, what was it like taking the green flag on race one? Uh, it, it's actually, it's been several years since I've done a, um, a sprint race. Uh, you know, all the racing I've done in the past two years is all endurance racing. And usually as a consequence of coaching, um, you know, I end up in the car for a stint, but I do take a lot of starts. Uh, a lot of times, you know, with the format of some of the endurance races, you can gain a lot more strategy wise if you start your fastest driver. And fortunately <laughs> for, for me, I end up being that guy a lot of times. So that's a lot of fun. So I have a lot of experience um, with the start, but it was cool to kind of switch my mentality back to a, like a hyper focus, like attack mode, kind of like take the opportunity when it comes be a little more aggressive than on the start of an endurance race, just because you don't have eight more hours to make up a spot. You know, if there's an opportunity, you have to, you have to try to take it, but also to be reserved enough to know that, you know, you, you have to make it through turn one, obviously that's where, that's where everything happens. So right. um, I was really pleased. I, I know there was a little bit of, of kerfuffling throughout the weekend in GLTC and no, that wasn't anything crazy, but 
Um, I was really pleased with how everybody raced on the starts. I never had an issue, never had, I mean, had absolutely zero contact, ran inches away from people on every start. And um, fortunately, had a good start in all four races. So that, that was good. So where did you finish uh, race one? I guess I should look this up while we talk. Uh, P3 in race one. Okay. Um, and I imagine, I think you and I talked earlier, um, that was, I mean, I think that's a great finish given that you said that your car really wasn't optimized for, uh, GLTC necessarily. Um, how about race two? Tell me about what happened. Yeah. Race two was a little bit crazier. I think, um, you know, we qualified fifth, so we weren't, we didn't really have pace for, for podium per se for a podium, but I quickly realized in race one, um, you know, where other drivers competencies lay, um, and race one, we benefited from Luke McGrew going out on, on rain tires. And, uh, so he fell back. I mean, he was like six seconds off pace, right? So he just fell back. I got him on lap one and, and never saw him again. So in race two, he came out on the right tires and he was a couple seconds faster than us. Um, and so that, put us a little bit further behind, didn't make as many positions on the start. Um, I settled into fourth, I think in race two. And then from there, you know, the three or four drivers behind me were all quicker. Um, so it was just defending. Um, and then, uh, Dyson fam, who's only, I think he's done one other GLTC weekend. He's got a really fast S 2000. And, you know, he was like, he was probably running one fifty threes and race pace. I was running 56s and 57s. Um, and so he just, you know, approached us with, a lot of speed approaching with a lot of speed. And I, I defended from him for like three or four laps and I knew he was going to get around me because he was so much faster everywhere. And eventually I just went mid track in turn one. So I was like, okay, I have one move. I'm going to put the car mid track. I'm going to make him go to the outside, give him the un- un- like kind of unoptimal line. And I just totally kind of brain farted on, well, he's on like a 255, I think who's your slick or 265. He's on the, he's like got a lot of tire. He's got a lot more grip. He's got a more optimized car. He just drove around the outside of me. <laughs> so I'm looking so. here at race two results. Uh, Dyson's best lap was a 55, 492 and yours was a 56, 533. So like okay. he had you handedly by a second during, you know, during best, best conditions. So, um, yeah. I know that you said uh, Luke paid a pretty massive uh, speed penalty in race one uh, because he chose a rain tire. Now, um, on the live feed, we were talking about how that was such an odd choice um, given the conditions. Uh, But what I heard more about uh, after the fact was actually it was sprinkling during, you know, the the drive up to the grid. And uh, the car was basically set up to run that way prior And so he was just, he kind of wanted to just roll the dice and see how it worked out. Um, Interesting that Luke looked like a genius at Midwest Festival because he was one of the few drivers on (laughs) reins for a particular race. And this, uh, this is the opposite of that situation. So he's, I think it's a zero sum game. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It was, it was pretty crazy uh, because it was sprinkling like as we were leaving for grid. And so we had the honest conversation, like what tire are we going to run? Are we going to throw the 200 treadwear? tire that's going to evacuate more water or are we going to run our tire and because there are some grooves in the supercar 3r we're like you know we're just going to go with that i think it's going to be better than if everybody goes out on slicks we'll have a little bit better conditions um you know we'll be better suited for the conditions i guess uh and i saw luke on h2o's and sway bars released and like shocks softened like he went full rain setup and i think um he was almost a genius because if you looked at the radar, that storm, it looked like it was coming straight for us. And then it kind of skirted around to the Southwest. So, um, it was, it was really, really close. I'm, I'm very surprised no one else showed up on rain tires because it was literally, I was using my windshield wipers on the outlap. Uh, it was, it was sprinkling enough to do that. So, so but it I ended up drying now, out. I, I do uh, think we benefited pace wise for that though. And I have race now one. a couple of notes uh, related to race three. So this one, I think, was the fun one for you. Talk to me about race three and then your, your race at the, uh, after the white flag with Todd Cayley. Yeah. Race three was awesome. That was, that was what we all, you know, that's the reason we all do this. Um, it was a, it was a battle from the beginning. Um, Todd didn't get a great start. So Todd had had been finishing well all weekend and I'd kind of gotten to know Todd actually met him when we uh, parked Thursday evening at the track. He was one of the first people to show up. Um, and so we kind of got to know each other then. And, uh, 
yeah, we hadn't really raced before that because he had been, I think he'd finished second. I know he finished second in race one, maybe third in race two. Um, he was up front. He was the, you know, continuously the second or third fastest guy in every session. So I knew um, once I got around him at the start, he would be back. Uh, but I ended up racing with Justin, uh, Justin Lee in an MX-5, uh, and we went back and forth for quite a while. Um, and he had pace on me the whole first half of the lap, and then I was faster through the fast-flowing S's. Um, and so we had a really good scrap back and forth, but then Todd caught up to us as the field kind of like spread out, Justin and I were racing, Todd got caught behind some slower cars, then he got around him, then he caught us. And so we had this three-way battle going for quite a while, which was really fun. And like a chess match, you know, cause I was in the middle having to think ahead of, I need to get around Justin, get, let these guys start battling behind me to build a gap, but I've also got to defend from Todd. Um, and so I was able to make probably the best move that I made all weekend. Um, Justin realized that he didn't have enough pace to really put a gap on Todd and I. So he kind of tried to like back me up into Todd. So I'd start racing Todd, which was smart, but he backed me up a little too much in the S's where I was already quicker than he was. So I caught him at the exit of the S's and got alongside of him into that hard right-hander and just like put the car really aggressively, like right next to him, mirror to mirror and just took the inside into the corner and uh, that ended up being a really good call because then he and Todd battled and lost a bunch of ground to me. I, I wasn't able to go much faster. I was, you know, putting in as fast laps as I could. I knew as soon as they stopped battling, they would catch me. And so Todd only got, got around him, took him a lap or two to get around him. And then Todd caught me as we crossed the line, taking the white flag. And then we battled the entire last lap. It was so fun to watch. Um, it was awesome. Uh, I, I got to give Todd a lot of credit because he doesn't have a ton of will to will experience. And he was really candid with me about that. So, um, you know, I told him I'm, I'm going to give him a hell of a time because I've, I've got a lot of will to will experience and I know where to put the car uh, and how to be, you know, aggressively defensive without being too much. So he, um, he did a really good job. We went too wide through an area of the track where I hadn't gone too wide with anyone else the entire rest of the weekend. And, um, he took the outside through turn five and then he kind of got onto the rumble strips going into turn six. And then at that point, um, he was kind of like B pillar on me and I just had the inside line to take the apex at six. So he had to tuck in behind. And then, um, fortunately the, the BMW was really good in the S's. So he, he was faster at every point on the track, but I marginally, I just had enough pace to stay ahead of him. Uh, through so, the S's, uh, and um, I, I've never driven out. at NOLA, um, but uh, I know that the S's at Coda are kind of, um, you know, decreasing radius, so to speak, or like the the S's themselves are kind of getting smaller. Uh, I think though at NOLA they're all uh, consistent. The you know each way back and forth is kind of consistent through. If you do that three or four times, what what does the car feel like as it's transitioning back and forth? It's really fun. It's one of those things where like you wish that people were watching could feel it because it's 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 pretty intense because it's high speed, so it's a lot of G's. Um, but yeah, they're pretty similar radius. You have to um, almost everyone in GLTC, maybe except for Eric Coutil, was braking after the first. You know, you turn in for the first one a little over 110 miles per hour, and then you really need to get the car down to like 90 miles an hour, roughly maybe a little slower than that to make it for the second one. It doesn't really tighten up as much as the first one's just so open. The radius might be the same, but the first one you're coming onto it from a straightaway. So you can really optimize it. And then the second one's the same radius, but you have to change direction now. Um, But then the, you know, you turn left, then the car goes back to the right. And that, that right hander is really, really essential to get the car set up for the final left where there's a massive bump right against the apex. So you really have to be prepared to have the chassis stabilized and kind of have a flat car be on the throttle as you pass the last, last left hander. Cause this bump, I mean, it's killer. It upsets the car. It moves the car across the surface. So you really have to set the car up for that bump at the end. And that was what I found. Um, some of the guys who had pace on me other places, I had a little more confidence uh, in our car stability and being able to place the car in the right place over there. Cause I noticed I'd always kind of put a gap on people right across that last part of the Estes. Sure. Um, really fun section of track though. I, I really enjoyed it. It was cool. So um, I was talking, can't remember who I was talking to, but one of the things uh, uh, that comes to mind with respect to motorsport broadcast is um, very much what you said just a second ago, where, uh, someone outside the car really doesn't have a good sensation for how intense it is in car, especially in those, 
you know, weight transfer situations. And something that I would like to try and do with uh, Kyle Heyer, who is kind of our, our broadcast specialist, I, I, I assist him on the broadcast feed. He is a much better at it than I am kind of person. Um, but one thing we would like to do, or I would like to do, is make sure that we position some camera angles, whether they be um, drone shots or um, fixed camera through areas that make the cars really look as fast as they are going. Um, here, someone and I were talking about Formula One and how we think that the coverage, uh, the, the races themselves are really interesting to watch. Uh, but uh, unless you are in person, it's, it's essentially impossible to get the sensation for how fast they're going. Um, because the cameras are always zooming and they're always panning and the cars are moving at a million miles an hour. Um, but uh, as an example, watching cars go through the S's in, uh, at Coda during qualifying is like a mind-bending experience. Um, yeah. And so we were, we were trying to think about like, okay, well, if you took this uh, GLTC production, you know, where are the spots where you'd want to make sure that you get a couple shots every now and then as part of the feed to ensure that like people see how one, how close this racing is and two, like how intense the situation is. And I think we've done a fantastic job um, so far of capturing green flag, uh, you know, all the cars piling into turn one. I think that's a that's like a really valuable portion of the broadcast. But the other parts I'm thinking about are like, okay, well, you know, are there sections of the track where cars are insanely fast and uh, we want to make sure we get that on camera? So the spots that came to mind for me were not familiar to you, but they'd be like, uh, facing back from turn 10, looking at like 10A, 9, and 8 at Gingerman, where the cars are like massively loaded up, they're high speed, and it's a like a really, really high G corner. And it's like, well, if you had a fixed camera or like a drone shot there and you saw cars kind of blip through the, the frame pretty quick, you'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, those, those guys are going pretty fast. And uh, even if you compare it to the craziness of Time Attack, like Cattell's car, as an example, goes really, really fast through those corners, and it's a you know a two hundred horsepower Honda. So um, I'm putting my thinking cap on, trying to figure out what corners. Uh, let's say at NCM, for an example, you know what corners would make sure that you know we really, really see what these cars can do. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. It's hard to convey that. Um, I mean, you guys have absolutely killed it on the broadcast. I was talking to Kyle in the GLTC group chat, and it's it's really impressive. I mean, just the production quality and the announcer quality. I mean, obviously, you and Tom have a have a good dynamic, and everybody's very knowledgeable. It, it's better, you know. I've done, um, you know, when World Challenge before it was SRO and it was World Challenge. Obviously, I, I raced there, and uh, they had NBC Sports broadcasts and. They were, they were obviously a very, very high-level production, but for the amount of money you spend as an entrant to be in the field um, and the amount of support you have to have just to get there, I mean, it's 10 times what it is to be in GLTC or more. But the media value is not really 10 times. Probably not, yeah. And the, I think that's a uh, big sustainability spot, point for what you're doing. The the tricky spot for, for me, and maybe it's just because I'm not as good at it as Kyle is, um, you know, with, with limited camera angles and limited data, uh, it's very difficult to provide any kind of valuable commentary on a time attack session, as an example, right? Like because what you can talk about are the people you know and the the builds that you know. Um, but uh, without sector times or something like that, it's really hard to know whether or not driver X is going fast or not in any given session. And so, like uh, for me, that's a that's a want for years in the future. Is is you know, how do we get more information so that we can make the time attack broadcast more interesting, but also like uh, getting sector times and things for GLTC, I think are equally valuable. Um, the, the tricky spot for us is just, it's a, it's a hardware constraint at some tracks where it's, even if you wanted it, it's not available. Yeah. Well, we, we can talk a little bit offline cause I might have a, um, a feasible 2021 solution for some of that. That would be excellent. specifically. Yeah, it, it it's pretty cool. I'll loop you in on that uh, when we're not uh, when we're not, <laughs> we're not on the broadcast. Um, okay, so race four. Uh, let's let's talk about race four. Um, I have uh, I have Dyson Fam to win, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, 
And on the weekend podium, uh, Eric, Eric Cattell, who is an engineer, struggled with his math for this event. And uh, <laughs> he, I mean, he literally makes the, uh, uh, like the grid sheet that uh, does the calculation for people, and he miscalculated. And so he got a couple of DNFs because he was underweight, um, and that put you on the podium for the weekend, which I is um, pretty special because it is exceedingly difficult to do. What was that like? Yeah, you know, it was a bummer to see uh, that happen to Eric because I know, I mean, you know, obviously he knows he knows what he's doing. It's just one of those things where he filled out the sheet the same way he did all of 2020, which it's still 2020, but this was the first round of 2021, right? So it kind of, it kind of, I mean, I totally can identify with that. Um, so that, that was a bummer because he really was the guy to beat and I'm sure will be for a lot of, a lot of the season, but um, yeah, we ended up second, um, second overall on the, on the, um, on the weekend podium, which was, which blew away. I mean, I told the guys, um, Baker and Mitch, who came down there with me to help run the car after we finished on the podium in race one, I kind of said, well, now the, you know, I, I, as much as I say, I'm here for the race, you know, we're all racers and a result really is gratifying and it really you know, it makes it, it's a big deal. It like, validates, as a racer. Right? Yeah. It's validating. And so we, we finished on the podium on race one and I kind of said, you know, the, the pressure's off. Like we're just here to have fun. Like we always have been, but now we're really able to just focus on having good races with people and have fun and learn something and talk to people and, and meet new, you know, make new friends and enjoy the event. And, uh, and we really did. So I think that helped me as a driver to perform better throughout the weekend. And, um, you know, race, race four was really tricky. Uh, again, I raced with Todd Cayley the whole race and, uh, he, um, you know, it's like those classic, like he knew he beat me in the points, but at the end of the race, he came up to me and he's like, I almost gotcha. Right. Like I almost beat you. Cause <laughs> I, you know, I, I beat him on the track, but I knew he was going to win overall, but I just thought that was cool because he knew he was faster and he was going to win, but he couldn't get by me. So there's kind of this mutual respect of like, we played fair and it was really fun. So we had a great race, but they inverted the top nine in the field. So I started, you know, a little bit further back than I had been starting the rest of the weekend. But, you know, what was funny is the, you know, like Eric Meadows and um, Jeremy Boyson and some of the guys that had been kind of finishing behind where we had, you know, just off the podium, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh throughout the weekend, they were faster than me the whole time, right? They qualified just behind me. And as my tires went off, you know, they just had more grip and they learned the track and got faster. So in that last race, they did um, well. Yeah. Yeah, they did well. They were already at the front. And so when Kutil went out because he had issues, um, you know, there weren't really any fast cars, any of the guys that had been finishing at the front to chase him down. And Dyson had had speed all weekend and he finally just, you know, was able to hang it out there. But um, congrats to Eric and to Jeremy and the other guys that were fighting hard all weekend to finish up front. They finally they finally were able to to get there, which was cool. Well, I think that um, that random draw grid inversion makes for a really spectacular race start, and it makes it makes the broadcast, I think, a lot of fun. Uh, you as a driver, what's the what is it like? What's your what's your take on on that as part of the race format? I love it. I mean, I, I love the um, the madness because it's something I've trained being a driver coach and getting into people's brains and understanding how to teach somebody how to, how to become a better racer and how to learn racecraft has taught me um, perspective on how to teach myself how to be a better racer. So it's having that 360 awareness and knowing where everybody is at all times is something that I focus a lot on when I'm preparing for an event and I'm visualizing what's going to happen in the race. So that inverted field, um, I think plays to my strength as a driver and just being aware of where everyone is and making calculated um, risks. But um, particularly in that race, I, I didn't quite take as many, as many lunges or opportunities as I, as I probably could have and finished a little bit better. Maybe, um, I knew that the cars in front of us had pace over us, so I didn't want to force the issue too much, but I let Eric, I kind of didn't give him a hard time going by me cause he had so much more pace. And so my plan was to just hang through him, hang behind him and work through traffic. Well, he had like a fuel neck or fuel breather or something come apart and he starts spraying fuel all over my windshield. You know, I can smell it and I'm wiping it off the windshield and then he pulls off the track with a mechanical. Um, so my plan was to just follow him through the field and let him open up some passing opportunities for me. Um, cause I knew I could kind of hang with him through traffic. Um, but that didn't really pan out. So my race changed and I ended up, um, ended up racing with Todd for 
the majority of the race. And we, we had an, another awesome, awesome race. I hope, I hope he got something out of it and learned some things because I threw, I threw down most of the defensive moves that I've ever used uh, to keep him behind me. That's excellent. So we've talked a lot about GLDC on this episode, but part of your reason for attending was uh, in a, a vendor capacity for Apex Pro. Um, as as between sessions and when the track was cold, what uh, what did you learn about what the the grid life drivers are looking for, um, and um, what's what is your thought on um, the, the kind of the connection between those drivers and Apex Pro? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, what's really cool about you know the folks in, in the grid life community is it tends to be a younger group compared to a lot of the a lot of the older kind of more traditional clubs that you go to or that we spend a lot of time with because that's who tends to be at the tracks near us. Um, so it's it's way easier to have conversations with people who have grown up with smartphones because that's what our technology is based around, right? Sure. It's using your data on your phone. So I didn't have to spend as much time with like technical support. It's more about actually talking about driving. Um, so like the um, the guys from Team Brop who have, you know, Kevin Head and uh, Matt Williams, they have Honda Fits and RX-7s. Um, and they were paddocked right next to us. And Kevin has had an Apex Pro for a couple of years, and he's a huge, huge Apex Pro fan. Um, we spent a bunch of time with them just getting to know the rest of their crew. And then a couple nights ago, we did a Facebook Live and I reviewed all their I data. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, we, we had a blast. And we looked at a couple of fits, overlaid some things. Um, and, I, you know, I really think it's, it's, it's really the same that I think every um, driver that's trying to improve is looking for it's, it's an educational tool and it's something that helps them understand and give them a new perspective on their driving. But what we spent a lot of time talking about was recalibrating your feel for what the data says is fast, not what feels oh, fast. Sure, yeah. And I think that's a big desire for a lot of folks that data brings to the table is understanding um, what inputs and what, um, you know, changes that you made that led to a faster you know, minimum speed through a corner or earlier throttle application or, you know, later release of the brake in the corner, um, something like that. And then kind of saying, okay, well, that doesn't feel as fast because the car doesn't move as dramatically, but it actually is faster. Sure. Um, and so we spent a lot of time looking at that and correlating, you know, in the data, moving the car to a certain point on the lap, looking at a minimum speed, are there red lights on the apex pro display that signify opportunity? Where is the car on the friction circle? You know, how close to the edge are they and determining, you know, how much more speed do we think we can carry through there? Right. Is that a big enough opportunity to go pursue it? And I think that was, that was the kind of conversation. Um, you know, I talked to uh, Josh Halka, who's an apex pro user. I think he won his class for the weekend. Um, yeah, Christian Duchesne. He's, he's consistently um, fast. Yeah. And then a lot of folks uh, met a couple of guys that were working grid and some other guys that are all talking about, um, you know, buying Apex Pros in the future. So really for us, it was it was more of a being our first grid life event. We didn't want to show up guns and blazing just there to sell stuff. We wanted to just get to know people. And I think we accomplished that. It was it was a lot of fun. It was really cool talking to Kevin and Matt and hearing how informed they were and how well they knew how to use the product and their specific pointed questions. We talked a lot about what the friction circle means and how to optimize it and why you can achieve more combined acceleration, releasing the brake than you can cornering and on the throttle um, and some really meaningful conversation around that. So anytime I'm at the track and people aren't just asking me how to, um, how to update their app or how to, you know, make sure their phone will turn on or whatever it is, which happens all the time. It's, it's a really good experience for me. So I, I had an awesome time. So, um, we mentioned just briefly things that we won't talk about on the show. Um, are there, are there any new initiatives or um, opportunities within apex pro that you can talk about? Are you still looking for yeah. an employee? Say, say that last part. Are one you more still time? looking for a new employee? Uh, yeah, we actually, we are, we've, um, we've had several folks send in some applications. We have not, um, we have not hired anybody yet. Um, so we're still looking for the right fit. Ideally, somebody who wants to, um, one, live in Birmingham, Alabama, which for some might not be a big deal. For others, it might be um, obviously relocating. But, um, you know, someone who's very familiar with the motorsports world. And the job really um, consists of some things that we can't talk about publicly yet. But it's also just learning what 
helps our customers? What kind of questions do people have? How can I kind of scale my resources of helping our customers with pointing them in the, in the right direction? You know, I'm um, sharing links. Um, we're trying to do way more webinars and way more customer engagement because we found that to be the highest correlation with sales is teaching people how to use the product as best as they possibly can and helping them take it so much further than, than you can without that guidance. Um, so yeah, we are still looking for, for somebody. So reach out to us at apex at apex trackcoach.com. If you think you, you'd be a good fit for that. We're not, we're not in a hurry because we know that, um, we know that we, uh, need to find the right person more so than anything else. Sure. Um, uh, and we also actually, uh, now that you mention it, we haven't announced this yet, but in a few weeks, probably you'll see a press release. It's public information, but, uh, our patent for the apex pro performance coaching apparatus, which is what defines the red and green light display. Um, that's essentially a grip calculation. Um, that patent has been granted, uh, to us, uh, utility patent. Uh, and we also, uh, took on a seed round of, um, of funding. We brought on an investor actually back in May, but we haven't really put that out publicly. So you'll see in a couple of weeks that that kind of stuff is coming out. So cool. there's a lot of momentum. I, uh, um, I read the patent. It's very cool. I appreciate it. We're excited. Now I think those are, those are great things and it's um, it's, it doesn't always line up perfectly, but it's exciting to see a company that um, is fair to say is run by good people and is in the right place for the right reason. It's exciting to see them successful. Right. So I'm uh, because there are, I'm sure plenty of people who probably don't deserve their success that are still successful. And the opposite is true. Um, so when those things line up, I'm happy. Um, yeah, well, well, we appreciate it. We, we enjoy being a part of the community and it's, you know, it all really stems because there are things that I see in the in the, how people are taught to drive that I either, um, disagree with, or think that, that my perspective and as a business, we can improve. And that is really what it stems from is let's help people learn the right way from the beginning. And, um, and learning with data is a big part of that to, to calibrate what's, you know, again, what feels right. It's not always what's, what's the fastest way, right? It's not always what's the best for the, for the chassis, for the tires. So that's a big part of it. There, there are some really cool stuff that you'll see come to light before too long. Uh, I don't have timeframes on a lot of them, but we, uh, you know, we are working on, you know, what's next uh, as far as products and, and uh, services and, and that sort of thing goes. And that's, that's been in the works for a while. Um, so there'll obviously be a lot of media buzz around that at some point in the future, um, it's probably going to be be a little while on that, um, but again, trying to take our time to do things right because I think we now really understand our customer and what what they need, what they want, and what's going to help them the most. And that's I think if we stay focused on that before everything else, um, then hopefully success will continue. All right. Well, I think we've recorded one and a half to two hours worth of content for Apex Pro GLTC visit. So that probably represents a pretty good episode. So I'm going to hit the stop button, and then you and I can chat for a minute. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate all the support. Thank you to the Patreon people. Uh, Thank you to Apex Pro. It's been a heck of a year. And uh, now that I'm moved, I should be able to release shows a little bit more frequently. So we appreciate (laughs) your patience. Thanks Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits of Grid Live to say hello. Hello.